0: We turn in God's Word this morning to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7, as we begin, uh, as the bulletin noted, as uh, the sign out front notes, a new series for the month of May, setting aside uh, for a few weeks our study of the Westminster, and before we begin our usual summer series on individuals from the Scripture. throughout this month, uh, focusing on the times in Scripture, the events in Scripture, in which we read of the phrase, 40 days and 40 nights. This was suggested, actually, by a member of the congregation, not the exact title or the sermon series, but at least the, the general idea and the general principle. And I... Uh, The more I thought about the the theme they had given, uh, it just kind of kept growing and expanding. Uh, The number 40 is pretty significant in the Bible. It's used, uh, depending on versions, 146 times throughout the Bible. Uh, Sometimes divided between 40 years, that is also another common expression, or the expression, as we find it in our passage today, of 40 days and 40 nights. And as we journey through uh, this series, looking at these various uh, times it is used, you're going to see it as a time of testing. That's certainly what the 40 days and nights uh, demonstrate to us, a time of trial, a time of triumph, a time of fulfillment of promises. Not only of God's judgment, but also of God's blessings. Near the end of the month, we will gather with uh, our brothers and sisters at Walker um, for an Ascension Day service. That Ascension itself marking a 40-day period of time from the resurrection till the Ascension of our Lord and Savior. So it's a significant number. And we read of it, first of all, in the book of Genesis chapter 7. Let's hear then God's breathed out word to us this morning. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. And seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old. When the flood waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life. In the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's wife and the wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, and all flesh went in as Noah, as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in the flood continued 40 days on the earth as far the reading of god's word let's again bow in prayer our heavenly father we thank thee for this portion of your word your precious word that thou has given unto us and as we hear this story again and again we can constantly be learning more we pray that thou be with pastor bob lord and give him the words to say so that we can clearly understand thy word. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. As we heard the pelting rain last night beating against our homes and the windows, seeing flashes of lightning and the roll of thunder, you perhaps were not thinking about this morning's message, but I certainly was. And wondering if perhaps I had not chosen wisely to begin a sermon series with Noah and 40 days of, and nights of rain. And it sort of seems like that, hasn't it, this spring? Seems like we, we barely get a dry day. And I know it's certainly a concern of farmers, and we'll include that in our prayer this evening as well, that we get some dry times in order that crops can be planted But even the wetness of this spring does not compare to what we have before us. And certainly, when we think about the 40 days and nights of rain, we immediately understand this as a sign of God's judgment. I, I, I I don't think I could have said the statement, 40 days and nights of rain, without you thinking of the flood, without you thinking of the judgment of God upon the earth. And so as we begin this series and think about this use that comes to us the very first time in Scripture, it is certainly, number one, a sign of God's judgment. Secondly, it stands for us as the extent of God's judgment. It's not just God's judgment, but that it's 40 days and 40 nights. It's that extent of God's judgment upon the earth. But there is also found in those 40 days and 40 nights, the grace of God's judgment. Because it wasn't 50. It wasn't 100. It wasn't thousands. It was 40. But there is even more. So first of all then, as we consider the the sign of God's judgment, why is God doing this as we come to Genesis chapter 7? Why why is God coming to Moses and, or to, excuse me, to Noah and saying, build this ark, go into this ark, because I'm going to send rain for 40 days and 40 nights upon the earth. Why is it happening? Well, the context, going back to Genesis chapter 6, tells us why. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and verses 12, we read of the wickedness that is there upon the earth. Verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We prayed this morning, given uh, uh, the circumstances of Hannah, of, of what is going on in our world. And the violence that we see in our world. And the evil that is so prevalent. And here we are. Genesis chapter 6. God's comment upon that day is that there is only evil and every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was continual. You go down to verse 12, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The extent of this evil, not only in terms of the numbers of people that are involved by this time, but also the depth of the depravity to which they are going, their own hearts, their own lives. Even, even as we read that, that those who are part of a, of a line that, that should have been faithful to the Lord are corrupting themselves through intermarriage of the sons of men. It's only evil continually. What's, what's the context? The evil of the world and God's bringing judgment upon it. So God had issued a command, chapter 6, verse 14. To Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And of course, we could go through the whole statistics, but there it is. Make an ark. There is the command. verse Chapter 7, verse 1. Now that Noah has made it, go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous. What's the context then? A command. The ark didn't just appear. God could have, God could have just said, hey, look it over there, Noah, there's the ark. God could have just gone, there's your boat, get into it. But he tells to Noah, you build the ark. As I was preparing this, there there was a thought that I had never had about this. This was his call. But you see, there's no money in ark building. Nobody's paying Noah to build this ark. Nobody's going, hey, nice, nice edifice there. It's not like he has some sponsors. Okay? Right? There is regular work to be done. He he still has to farm, he still has his crops, he still has vineyards, whatever it was that Noah did for a living. He still had to do it. He couldn't just set that aside. Some estimates range anywhere from somewhere around 30 to 75 years Noah is invested in building this ark. He's building the ark while he still has to do everything else of life. Take care of family. Bring in the crops. All those things. I never really thought about that before. But this is Noah's ministry. This is Noah's call. Build the ark. This is what is central. This is what is crucial. The other is just maintenance. The other is just there. Building the ark is what it's all about. What if Noah, what if we were to read here, and Noah ignored the Lord and spent his time in his pursuit of farming and never built an ark? What would have happened? Well, that's not the way it goes, but but it is something to contemplate. It it is something to think about. He did not make his earthly pursuits his number one goal in life. He made the spiritual pursuit, the God-given command to build the ark, his pursuit. And he didn't tell his wife to do it. And he didn't tell his sons to do it. And he didn't tell his daughter-in-laws. God said to Noah, you build the ark. You build it. Men, there's your challenge for life. Your challenge is not your job. Your challenge is not the pursuits of this world. Your challenge is to build an ark. What do you mean by that, Pastor Bob? Well, if you listen to Wes Reynolds last Sunday evening in his message on Jacob's ladder, the ladder is Christ. He's the means. If I were to ask you the question, how is Noah saved? You would say, by the ark. What's God's message? What does the ark then represent? What is the only means of salvation? Christ. You see what the message is? The thing that we are to be about, man, is building Christ into our hearts, into our lives, into the lives of our wife, into the lives of our children, into the lives of our grandchildren. That's our call. Because at the end of the story, God's coming in judgment once again. And the question is, have we built the ark? Have we built into, have we invested into our wives, our children, ourselves? Have we invested into the church of Jesus Christ? Has that been it, or have we delved into everything, our career, our pursuits, our our money, our homes, our activities, our hobbies? That's, That's what we really invested ourselves into. And at the end of 120 years, when God comes in his judgment upon the earth, where would Noah have been if his pursuit had been his vineyard? where would his wife and his children and his grandchildren have been? A command is given because God's judgment is coming. I know that as individuals, as fathers, as husbands, we can't make somebody a Christian. Only God can give him the heart to enter the ark. we had better be building. Far more important than any other pursuit is the pursuit of Christ in our heart, in the heart of our wife, in the heart of our children, in our church. That's your challenge. You got about 30 to 75 years What are you going to do with it? Noah built an ark. Because God's judgment of 40 days of rain were coming. The completion of that promise is read several times in Genesis chapter 7. God's promise to come in judgment. You have it in Genesis chapter 4. Or Genesis 7, verse 4, for in seven days I will send rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Then we read of it again, that it happened, that it occurred in Genesis 7, 11 and 12. And then again in Genesis 7, 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. God not only said it was going to happen. God not only provided for it happening. God did it. God did it. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. A sign of God's judgment. Third, second, the extent of God's judgment. And here we'll be brief but cover two things. One, how extensive was this judgment that God brings? Well, one way of looking at it is the depth. How deep does the water get? Chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. That's means that the top of the tallest mountain of that day was covered by 22 and a half feet of water. And what you probably picked up on was not the 22 and a half feet. You probably picked up on my expression of that day. Well, the interesting things. And I, I guess, you know, in the back of your mind, you probably remember hearing this in school somewhere down the line. But sometimes these little incidents, you just kind of, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not until you look at the reality of standing before the the Alps and the guide tells you these things are continuing to grow at a rate of a foot to a foot and a half a year that you begin to contemplate, so how high were they in Noah's day? Right? See, sometimes our answer is, well, that means Mount Everest was covered by 22 and a half feet. Well, I don't read Mount Everest. What I read is the tallest mountain of that day was covered. say, why are you expressing that? Because when the flood occurs, there is a huge eruption of the earth that continues to this day. There is the dividing of the earth that occurs during the Tower of Babel. There is not only a confusion of language, there is a separation of the earth that Perhaps God uses the mountains as a means of separating out people. Here, you, you want to live together? Look what I'm going to do. Boom! Here's a mountain. Now you're separate. And we get that from the, the genealogy that we have about uh, Peleg and uh, the earth being divided in his day. As well as this passage that says, you know, The the fountains of the deep burst forth. There's an opening of the earth. The point is, whatever the mountain was, whatever these mountains are that existed at the time of Noah, the tallest one, not just some, not just one, and there might be some on the other side of the earth. After all, I think God can see the earth that he has made and formed. and he's the witness to this event, is saying 22 and a half feet of water above the tallest mountain. 40 days and 40 nights. Kind of pales to the .82 inch of rain we got last night. It's an amazing thing. But it's not just the depth. It is the death that it caused. See, not only does this water then, by by virtue of the nature of water, cover the entire earth. There is no dry land anywhere. This is no localized flood. And a bunch of people escaped up into Siberia. Or a bunch of people got on boats and went across to, to Alaska and then filtered down here. This water covers the entire earth. And God confirms that in His Word by saying, verse 21, chapter 7 And all flesh died that moved on the earth birds, livestock, beasts, and all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. You want a clearer differentiation? Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. You want God to say it again? He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heaven, they were blotted out from the earth. Want to know the extent of God's judgment? There it is. As the wickedness of man was so prevalent over the earth, as sin has now enveloped the earth, so does God's judgment now envelop the earth as well. Forty days and forty nights. There is certainly no, no clearer picture, perhaps, in all of Scripture that, that we would say, hey, what What does 40 days and 40 nights represent? 40 days and 40 nights. But it also represents for us God's judgment. But I hope you see that in the midst of God's judgment, you also see God's grace. For not every living creature died. There's God's grace. God's grace to Noah. Right? Noah, I'm going to provide for you. Build an ark. Noah, now that you've built the ark, go in the ark. And Noah, now that you're in the ark, I'm going to shut the door to prevent this judgment from ever touching you. Yeah, you, know, you think about all this water. One way we could say it is not one drop of it ever fell upon the head of Noah, or his wife, or his sons, or his sons' wives. God provided. And then we have this beautiful expression that starts chapter 8. In the midst of all of this death. In the midst of all of this blotting out. In the midst of all of this judgment. But God remembered Noah. God remembered him. He sets the ark down. On the mountains of Ararat. And then note. 8 verse 6. As as the... Ark is now setting. What happens? Noah doesn't take the prerogative of, oh, now I ought to go out of the ark. Now I ought to get out of here. Somebody get us a rope. We'll climb up on the other side. No, he waits. Notice how long he waits. Forty days. Then we begin sending out all the birds. But God remembered Noah. In the midst of God's judgment, God remembers the man who is in the ark. In the midst of this total judgment that falls upon the earth, God remembers this man and his family who are in the ark. And of course we know someday there is coming another judgment, is there not? A judgment that will be even far more severe than the judgment we find here. But God will remember you if you are in Christ. Oh, the grace. The grace of God in the midst of his judgment. So clearly seen in his remembering Noah, But it's also God's grace in remembering not just Noah, but the entire promised line. For it's not just Noah he saves, the one who is the righteous man. No mention made of his wife, no mention made of the righteousness of his sons or of his sons' wives. Only Noah. And yet God in his grace remembers the promise that he has made to Adam and to Eve of the one who is going to come. And so, yes, he remembers Noah, but he remembers that line as well. So out from the ark come Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Genesis chapter 10, we read of the genealogy of all three of those sons and their offspring. And then we read in Genesis chapter 11, specifically of the offspring of Shem. Ending at a man by the name of Terah and his son Abram. Out of whom all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in. Ah yes, that promised line of Christ. See, God remembers Noah. God in His grace remembers this promise, this promised line. You say, well, why I'm not Jewish. What what significance is that to me? Notice how the New Testament continually lays before you and I the fact and the call and the urging and the statement that we are in Christ, that we are in Christ, that we are in Christ. You see, when we are in Christ, we're in the ark. When we are in Christ, we are in Him. And when we are in Him, we are in that promised line. We are His children. Because we are in Christ. But you know the story. You know that the promise of God... Interesting, is not just to Noah in grace. It's not just in grace to the promised line, that it comes to you and I in Christ. God included creation. Look at 8.1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God remembers his creation. Not just his people, but his creation. Follow that up. Go down to verses 21 and 22. Then Noah built an altar. Excuse me, 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down ever every living creature as I have done. God makes a promise to never strike this world with a worldwide flood again. Never. But he makes that promise not just to you and I. He makes that promise to his creatures as well. That was always Dr. DeYoung's favorite question at a presbytery exam of a young man coming to be licensed. (laughs) He always asked the question, so who did God make a covenant with in Genesis 7, 8, and 9? And of course, they all say, Noah and the promised line. And then Dr. DeYoung would open up the Bible and say, I think it includes more, young man. Because it includes the creatures that God has made as well. It's an amazing thing when we stop to think about what God is doing here. I'll never strike down every creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And God confirms that, doesn't he? He confirms it by making a covenant. Genesis chapter 9. Go with me to nine, verse, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Remember the book Dr. DeYoung wrote? God's wedding band. You know what God's wedding band is? It's a rainbow. Because when you look at a rainbow from above, it's a circle. When God looks from heaven, and he sees the bow, I will remember my covenant. What does he see? What does God see? God doesn't see an ark. God sees a circle. Dr. DeYoung called that God's wedding band. God's covenant with us and with creation in Christ. That's why you see in Romans chapter 8, we read, not only do we groan inwardly for our adoption as sons, but so does the whole creation. It awaits that final consummation. It awaits that day of the fulfillment fully, completely in Christ. The reality of which we have already. The reality of which we now possess. But we wait. We wait. Even as Noah enters the ark, And he waits seven days. So too we enter into our covenant relationship with Christ. And we wait. Safe. Secure. For the judgment of God. But in Christ, in the promises of God's covenant, in His marriage of the Son to the church, we are secure because God is faithful. Amen. Father, thank you for your word, it lives. It breathes. It speaks to us from an event of thousands of years ago into the reality of our lives today. Help us to hear this word today as if we had never heard it before. And help us to take this word and apply it to our lives, to our hopes. To our assurances, to the promises that we have from you in Christ, the realities that are ours. But help us to go forth from this place, to build, to build our ark of Christ, in whose name we pray. And God's people say, Amen.